Exodus chapter 20. We are still in the Ten Commandments, though we are close to the end. We've got three more to cover. And I want to do, as we've done every Sunday morning through this series, I want to go through and just have you repeat them after me. If this gets tiresome for you, the point is that you retain them, that you remember them, that they are engraved on your hearts and on your minds. So repeat after me, commandment number one, you shall have no other gods before me. Good. You shall not make for yourself an idol. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Honor your father and your mother. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. And Exodus 20:15, commandment number eight: You shall not steal. We're now deep into the shall nots of the commandments. Literally, as we've seen, it's just no and then whatever the thing is God would prohibit. So it's literally no murder, no adultery, no stealing, no bearing false witness, no coveting. The last five commandments are just no, 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 no. God is making something very clear to us. Something we need to understand. But rather than seeing these as negative prohibitions... I want to invite you to think about something this morning. To sit up and take notice to a pattern that has already emerged as we've looked at the first two no's of this list of five no's. The thing that's emerged here is that all of these outward warnings that God is giving deal with things that begin on the inside. Not with the actual behavior that he says no to. It's not necessarily the behavior of murder or adultery or stealing that God is saying no to. He is saying no to those things. But the no of the Father goes much deeper than just the actions of the hand. And that's kind of what we've been talking about. With this whole idea of no murder, no adultery. We understand, and we saw in Matthew chapter 5, that Jesus talks about these things. And Jesus says, hey, you say, I haven't committed murder. Well, great. Have you been angry with a brother? Have you called a brother fool? Have you said someone is good for nothing? Then you've murdered them. It is murder. Jesus pulls what is in the outside, puts it all the way into the heart. In the same way with adultery we talked about last week. Hey, if you've even looked at a woman with lust in your heart, gentlemen, you've committed adultery already. Because it's a heart matter. And as God goes through these five last commands, no, 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 no. He is trying to get into the heart. Not just the behavior. Well, why doesn't he talk about that in the first place? Why does it wait all the way until when Jesus comes along for him to give us explanation of these ten commands? Because when God gave the ten commands, it was early on in the life of a people. Remember, understand this. Israel at this time had had no law. There was no law. There was basically common sense to guide man, and that was it. And it didn't work real well. So for the first time, God comes along and says, let me make it clear to you. No murder. No adultery. No stealing. No bearing false witness. No coveting. No, 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 no. Exactly how you would say things to a child who doesn't quite understand the concept of the heart. But God very quickly wants to get into the heart. Trace the roots of all of our sin and you will find that they lead directly back to the heart. 
Every bad choice we make, every rebellious act, every sin in our lives does not begin with the hands, it begins with the heart. It starts in here. And that's where God wants to go. Listen to this verse, Deuteronomy 5.29. God says, oh, that they had such a heart in them, that they would fear me, and keep all my commandments always, that it may be well with them and with their sons forever. And so I think, well, obviously the heart is important to God, but why? Why, Lord, is the heart so important to you? Psalm 24, verse 3 tells us, Who may ascend into the hill of the Lord? And who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. Jesus said in Matthew 5, 8, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And that's the point. While we're struggling around here on earth, God is trying to get our attention to work His way into our hearts so that our hearts can be pure before Him and we can stand before Him. We can climb the mountain of the Lord. We can be in His presence. That's the whole idea. The Father wants His children to come home. And so He is hard at work on our hearts. And these ten words, these cross-cultural, cross-generational, cross-historical commands of God were given to take root, not in the outward actions of the hands, but in the heart. And if they can make their way into our hearts, folks, the hands will follow. So we look at the heart, and we will do so again this morning. But let's pray before we get into the Word. Father in Heaven, Lord, convict us in the heart. Help us not to look with eyes that just see the behavior and the outward actions, but to be concerned, to be focused, to be prayerful and mindful of our hearts before you. Those things, Lord, that we would think are our motives behind our actions, our attitudes, Father. All these things need the adjusting that only comes through the washing and the regeneration of the Spirit and the Word. And this morning, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would take your Word and implant it in us and grow it in our hearts and as it grows Lord I pray that there will be room for nothing else that you would completely take over and purify us that we may see God which is our great desire Father so we uh, ask for your help your teaching your guidance this morning Spirit in Jesus name Amen you shall not steal Lo ganab in the Hebrew. Don't go rab something that's not yours. Lo ganab. Do not steal. No stealing. It's a very clear prohibition. Probably the most simple of the commands. And as I came to this one, I read it and thought, okay, that's a good idea. And if you've ever been ripped off, you know it's a good idea. According to a Barna Pulse, 86% of American adults claim they are completely satisfying God's command against stealing. Pretty good. 91% of all Christians feel good about their status before the Lord in this area. That means 9 out of 10 Christians have no problem with the stealing commandment. They're doing really well with it. So why talk about it? Maybe we should move on to bearing false witness. As every parent knows... The concept of no stealing is not hardwired into our heads. And I wonder if our beliefs about stealing actually match our behaviors when it comes to stealing. 
We're going to think about this some this morning. But think, parents, about your children. Here's a little test you can always do. This works really well. If you want to see about where the nature is of a child, especially when it comes to stealing, put them in a stroller, take them into Toys R Us, and just walk them close enough to the aisle that they can reach out and touch it. Don't watch them. Just roll them around the store and go out the store door and see what little treasures they've picked up. How many of you parents have, have had that happen? You get outside of the store, you look down, and your child is playing with something. You're like, oh no! You thief! What are you doing? Because there's this natural propensity to grab something that's not mine, but I want it. Some of you have heard me share this story. My first serious stealing violation. My mom was in this little five and dime store called TG and Y. And next to it was Safeway. And I'm in TG and Y with my mom and, and she's looking at all the clothes and there are rounders of clothes and I'm bored so I wander next door to Safeway. Halloween was close and so there was candy everywhere. Which really isn't fair for a small child. And I walked in and there were bags of Smarties and one of the Smarties bags was ripped open by someone else. <laughs> That's my story and I'm sticking to it. And I began taking one smarty at a time out of the bag, popping it into my pocket and making my way out of the store and over to TGY and hiding in the rounders where I would eat it. And even in that moment, knowing I was a thief, I had now broken into the world of sin in a way I never had before. It's natural, folks. The, the actions of the heart, the sin nature that's in us, calls us, invites us, drives us to do things we really don't want to do, especially when we come to Christ. We don't want to be murderers, we, you know, except maybe at a, at a baseball game, and I probably shouldn't share this, because Jackie would tell me if, she did, if I did, but no, I won't, never mind. <laughs> See, if I share this about Jackie, then next week everybody's going to be wearing something other than Spongebob, you know? <laughs> No, I thought it was great. Yesterday, Jackie Shorthouse, she said, you know, you had to go with that whole not murder thing. And now when I'm watching baseball, it's so hard because sometimes there's such... Did you say idiots, I think, was the word or something like that? Okay, our hearts, our hearts take us so often in the wrong direction. No stealing. And so we have to teach this to our children. Logan up, no stealing. But here's the problem. Our teaching lacks conviction. The authors of a book called The Day America Told the Truth said the following things. These are a handful of replies to a survey on stealing among adults. Same adults who 86% of them said they had no problem stealing answered the survey this way. Hey, everybody steals supplies from the warehouse. I've watched co-workers take money out of the cash register. My own boss has given store money and merchandise. Oftentimes we leave without finishing the job and we cover up the jobs left unfinished. Sign-in sheets are often falsified, all falsified, and employees are paid for time when they weren't even there. And there's a new position, this is interesting, cropped up in the early 90s <clears throat> among larger companies called Vice President of Loss Prevention to deal with all the stealing that goes on in the corporate world. And I'm not talking about stocks and, and all the financial stuff, the Martha Stewart incidents. We're talking about people just taking stuff home. Going to the warehouse because, you know what, I, I need a ream of paper for my printer at home. And there's so much paper here, no one's going to miss it. No stealing. And yet, these vice presidents of loss prevention are testing employees for theft and finding it's growing at a rate of 20% a year. 
employees who are discovered to be taking things from work and we think nothing of it. No stealing. Could it be that the teachers need to learn the lesson? The Apostle Paul said in Romans 2.21 You therefore who teach another do you not teach yourself? You who preach that one should not steal do you steal? Oh, I don't steal, right? I'm involved in that kind of thing. Uh, let me ask you a question. Flip over to Matthew 22. And while you're flipping there, let me just ask how your taxes went this year. How'd that go? Did you get some money back? Did you, did you work TurboTax or hire someone or did you just kind of work the angles yourself? Isn't it interesting with the whole tax season how hard we work to get as much back as possible and ring the government as we possibly can? Listen to what Jesus says about this. Matthew chapter 22, verse 15. Then the Pharisees went and plotted together how they might trap him in what he said. And they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians saying, Teacher, we know that you are truthful and teach the way of God in truth. And defer to no one, for you are not partial to any. Tell us then, what do you think? Is it lawful to give a poll tax to Caesar or not? Jesus perceived their malice and said, Why are you testing me, you hypocrites? Show me a... And I love how Jesus slides that in there. Isn't it great? This, by the way, is not name-calling. It's the truth. When he says, Why are you testing me, hypocrites? Show me the coin used for the poll tax. And they brought him a denarius. And he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. And then he said to them, Well, then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And hearing this, they were amazed, and leaving him, they went away. Now, listen, we could go on one great big guilt trip today, focusing on all kinds of examples of lifting things from the office, fudging on our tax forms, or even checking the coin box on the phone. You ever done that? On the pay phone? You make the call, and as soon as you're done, you can hear just to see if maybe I got the call for free? It's not my money. It's not mine. But there's a greater issue at stake in all these seemingly harmless stealing behaviors. Listen to the last verse of what Jesus said one more time. He said in verse 21, Render the things to Caesar that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And the issue is, what belongs to whom? What belongs to who? Whose picture's on the dollar bill? George Washington. So render to Washington the things that are Washington's. And don't worry about it. You say, wait, but I've worked hard for my money. It's mine. I've earned it. I'm entitled to keep it, aren't I? Be careful because this is the attitude that produces the heart of a thief. Want to take that call? Okay. Listen again. The attitude that produces the heart of a thief. I want you to take note this morning. Just two attitudes to jot down. If you're you're a note taker, two things to write down. And the first attitude, and this is the attitude that develops the heart of a thief, is entitlement. Entitlement. Entitlement breeds theft. Entitlement breeds stealing. It's it's actually believing that what I have, I've earned, I'm entitled to. It's mine. But it's also convincing myself that I deserve more than what I've been given or what I have. I'm entitled to something in this life. Aren't I? Life, liberty, and the pursuit of capitalism? Don't I have a right in this country to get more? Aren't I entitled to something more than what my life is like right now? Entitlement. Gang, it breeds 
theft. James in James 1.16 said, Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good thing, every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. In the exercise of His will, He brought us forth by the word of truth. So that we would be a kind of first fruits among His creatures. And do you really believe that along with the breath of life, every single good thing you have is from the Lord. This is a question we need to struggle with this morning. Do I really believe that everything good in my life is from the Lord? That He has given it to me? Or do I think, even in the slightest instance, that I worked hard for it? I earned it. I deserve it. That, my friends, is entitlement. And it is so so woven into American culture that we actually almost see it as a Christian virtue or value. God helps those who help themselves, which is not even a verse in the Bible. Entitlement. I am entitled to get it. The distinction game between God giving it and me knowing it came from Him and me thinking that I earned it or I am entitled to it is huge. And it has deep implications for the heart. Am I entitled to anything beyond what the Lord graciously provides? Anytime I feel like I am entitled to the American dream, I am nurturing the heart of a thief. Entitlement. It's a lack of recognition of that every good thing comes from God, and its influence on the heart gang is far worse than stealing from the government or even stealing from other people. The influence on the heart goes to a place that most of us don't even consider or think about or, or wonder about. Malachi, chapter 3, verse 8. God says, Will a man rob God? Yet you're robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? And he answers very clearly, hear this, God's word in tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you're robbing me, the whole nation of you. Oh no. Pastor Rick is targeting giving. Hey, I'm not targeting giving. I'm talking about an attitude of the heart. What you give in terms of tithes, offerings, missions, charities, whatever that is, is between you and the Lord. And I've said this before, but we need to make sure you continue to understand this. The elders, the pastor of this church, we don't know what people give, and we intend to not to know what people give, because this is a heart issue. It's an issue between you and God. You've got to work this out. You've got to wrestle it out. But here's the problem, my friends. When we think that what we have earned is ours, we've worked hard for it, and it's our money, then the first thing to go is giving to the Father. It's the first thing to go. Because it's mine. And I will do with it as I please. When you understand that every good and perfect gift is from the Lord, then suddenly you realize, man, there is nothing that's mine. It all belongs to Him anyway. And that should have dramatic impact. On our giving. But listen to what God says. After saying, hey, you're robbing me. And we say, how have we robbed you? And tithes and offerings. He says this. He says, listen. I'll make a deal with you. That's my paraphrase. Bring the whole tithe, he says, into the storehouse. So that there may be food in my house. <clears throat> and test me now in this. Says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows. Do you believe he'll do that? 
is the same awesome God that we have been singing about. Our King, our Lord, our Savior, our Father. Is He capable of opening the windows of heaven and providing every need? Let me just... I've got to see a show of hands on this. How many of you believe God is capable of taking care of every one of your needs? Pretty much all of us. We know this. We talk about it. We see it in Scripture over and over. I will provide for you. Test me in this, says the Lord. Bring your tithe into the story of, I'm going to open up the windows of heaven for you. And here's my question. How much more blessed and faith-fulfilling and actually fun is the life that depends on the open windows of heaven rather than the tight-fisted entitlements of earthly wealth? Where would you rather get what you've got? Where would you rather know it's coming from? From the Lord blessing you? Or because you worked for it? Because you earned it? Because your boss gave you a raise? Hey, your boss has nothing to do with your raise. God does. It's His call. You got a problem with what you made? Take it up with the Father because He's the one who has determined what you've got. It's about Him. Man, I would much rather wait for heaven to open up. Because when you do, when you trust the Lord to take care of your every need, when you say, you know what, I'm just going to give it to the Father and trust Him to take care of everything, it is amazing what happens. And those of you who trust the Lord in your giving understand this. You know there are times when the rent is due or the mortgage is due and you don't have it and somehow the day before you've got to pay it, it shows up. And that's not just hocus pocus stuff, folks. It's literal. It's true. I should not be living in the house that I'm living in right now. And I'll tell you something honestly. If I didn't know beyond a shadow of a doubt that it was a gift from the Lord, I would be really embarrassed even having people over. Because it's more house than I ever thought I would have. And yet I don't because it's not my house. It doesn't belong to me. It's His. And the Lord can take it anytime He wants. And He can use it for whatever He wants. And that is so fun to live that way. To wake up in the morning and go, I wonder if we're going to be here tonight. <laughs> but to know that God is providing and taking care of it. We've already thought about the propane bill. You know, we're coming into summer, so it should be pretty good. We've got this big, massive propane tank out there. And I'm thinking, how are we going to fill this thing? This is going to kill us when the first bill comes. When we actually have to have it filled up, it's going to wipe us out. And Cheryl says, don't you think the Lord knows when the propane needs to be filled? <laughs> yes, honey. Pastor Rick knows. <laughs> Where would you rather put your trust? In human pensions or heavenly provisions? Think about how many of you guys have been working and, and gals in, in corporate America only to find out at retirement your pension's gone. Oh, I'm sorry, the company's not going to give that anymore. Don't you think the Lord knew long before that happened that was what was coming? Do we trust Him or do we not? Jesus says, listen, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth, Matthew 6.19, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in or steal, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And you all probably saw in the news the Laguna Beach mudslides. I had a good friend in high school who lived in Bluebird Canyon, who lived right where those mudslides are taking place. Millions and millions of dollars of homes crashing down in rubble. What are you putting your faith in? What are we trusting in? 
useless piles of timber and steel and drywall, bank accounts, all the hard work that we worked so that our families could have more and we could have more. And, and the Lord's saying, man, so much more fun when you let me bless you. When you know it comes from me and I know everything that's going on in your life. Everything I make here, gang, everything I think I'm entitled to here will end up moth-eaten, rust-corroded, and stolen. But nothing on earth, earth can touch that which is stored up in heaven. Flip over to Luke chapter 12. Luke 12. I'm going to park my voice this morning. It sounds like it's on its way out. Luke chapter 12, verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who appointed me a judge or arbitrator over you? And then he said to them, Beware. Be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. Listen to Jesus say that one more time. Not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. And he told them a parable. He said, The land of a very rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do? Since I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, This is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul? You have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool! God can say that, by the way. This very night your soul is required of you, and now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. This guy would have been better off to plant a church in his barn than to build more barns to carry and hold his stuff. One of the fastest growing industries in America today, storage units. So we have more room for our stuff. But what does Jesus say? This is like the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Rich toward God. What does that mean? Gang, listen. If I want to be close to the Lord, I have got to deal with my heart when it comes to the Eighth Commandment. I may not be out there stealing. I may not be lifting things off in the office. I may not be fudging on my taxes. I may have great integrity in all these things, but my heart will not allow me to give to the Lord because I just can't trust Him that much. And you're stealing from God. Not my words. It's the Bible. Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. By the way, did you know that stealing also violates not only the Eighth Commandment, but it violates the Third? Uh, The Third Commandment, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, and if I steal, that's exactly what I'm doing. How so, Rick? Proverbs chapter 30, verse 8. Keep deceptions and lies far from me. Give me neither property nor riches. Feed me with the food that is my portion, that I not be full and deny you and say, Who is the Lord? Or that I not be in want, listen, and steal and profane the name of my God. Stealing is profanity of God's name. What do you mean? How so? Because it declares that God is not sufficient to care for my needs. When I steal, 
whether it's from the Lord or from any other source, I am saying, God can't take care of me. I have to take care of myself. And in so doing, I am profaning His very name. Job chapter 1 verse 21. Job had it right. He said, Naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Gang, we are not entitled to anything but one thing. There actually is one thing in life we are entitled to. And that's thankfulness. The first attitude is entitlement breeds that. The second attitude is thanks breeds giving. An attitude of thankfulness will breed giving. A key to radical heart surgery in the life of an unintentional thief like myself is not just giving to Caesar what is Caesar's, but it is giving to God what is God's. It's doing what Jesus said in the parable, being rich to the Lord. You want to be far away from the attitude of entitlement, from stealing, then be rich to the Lord. It's the best way to do it. And by the way, again, I am unconcerned about the tithes and offerings of this church because they are amazing. This is the most generous group of people I have ever known. And God is doing amazing things and taking care of all the needs here. So if your issue happens to be between you and a particular church, then you decide you're going to tithe to a missions organization. Give it somewhere where God can use it. So that your heart can begin to be rich toward God. Well, Rick, that's kind of legalistic, that whole 10% type thing. You know what? I don't care. Give five. <laughs> Give two. Sean and I were newly married. Not giving at all. I was in ministry. Figured that was my giving. And uh, <clears throat> we picked up a couple of compassion children and started getting really good about ourselves and what we were doing. I thought, man, this has got to be like 8-9% of our income. And then I did the math, and it was like less than one. <laughs> and the reality is, and I'll just say this and move on from it, but when it comes to gifts and tithing and that whole thing, tithing means 10%. But for those who say, man, I can't do 10%, I, I just don't believe in the whole legality of tithing, that's fine, get something. But what's interesting is it tends to be like 10% or 1%. I, I rarely met someone who's able to give 6%, 7% consistently. It's either very little or it's very generous. And I would encourage you, again, not knowing where any of you are at with this, I would encourage you to be generous to the Lord. To be rich to your Father. Because it will do something here. It will affect your heart. Thanks breeds giving. Instead of feeling entitled, there's this attitude that the Lord wants to cultivate, and that's gratitude in our hearts. Here's the principle of huge biblical proportions. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 28. Paul says, He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good. Why? Why, Paul? Why should I work so hard if it's not for me? Paul says, so that he will have something to share with someone who's in need. That is a work worth doing. Working by the sweat of your brow to care for the needs of somebody else. To meet the needs of other people. To have it to share. To give to the Lord. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 8. Paul writes, God is able to make all grace abound to you. Remember, we raised our hands. We all said we believe this. God is able to make all grace abound to you. So that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance to store up in your barns and sit back and be fat, dumb, and happy. No, that's not what it says. <laughs> you may have an abundance for every good deed. 
As it is written, he scattered abroad, he gave to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. But now he supplies seed to the sower and bread for food. And he who does so will supply and multiply your seed for sowing. And increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in everything for all liberality, which is through us producing thanksgiving to God. And Paul goes on and says, For the ministry of this service is not only fully supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing through many thanksgivings to God. You and I, my friends, are entitled to one thing in this life, thanksgiving. That's it. We're going to talk about the meal. We are entitled to gratitude. We are entitled to be thankful. We are entitled to open our arms and praise the Lord in absolute awe over how good He is to us. Let me be crystal clear about why. Romans chapter 5, verse 6. For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. One will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for a good man someone would dare even to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more than having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through Him. I am entitled to thanksgiving. I am entitled to gratitude toward a God who has done this. And isn't it interesting, before my voice goes, that the last person to commit his life to Jesus on earth before Jesus died was a thief. And he was saying, Jesus, remember me. When you come into your kingdom, and Jesus said, Truly I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. And thankfulness, my friends, thankfulness will change a heart. Father, we don't intend to steal any more than a child in a stroller in Toys R Us. It's not our attitude, it's not our heart to want to rip off from other people or do harm to others by taking their things. That's not it, Lord. But as with all the commandments, I realize I am culpable here. I'm guilty, Father. Not so much with the outward ceiling as with the inward heart and the... The sense that I keep getting that I have earned something or I'm entitled to something or I should get something. Lord Jesus, the very fact that I stand up and breathe is a gift beyond all repayment. The fact that I can have relationships with my friends and family is a a treasure worth eternity. But dwarfing all that, Father, the fact that you loved us so much that you died on the cross for thieves like me, that, Father, will have us sing your praise throughout all eternity. And so, Father, I pray you'll change our hearts and work on us inside. Help us not just to cast these things off, but to really focus. You said you wanted to write your word on our hearts and in our minds to be our God and for you to and for us to be your people. And Father, we understand it's only the pure in heart that will see God. And so come now, Holy Spirit. 
and purify our hearts and change our minds and teach us Lord what it means to be rich to God in our service in our giving in our love may we be overflowing thankful in all things for the blood of Jesus which cleanses and purifies our hearts and this is my prayer in Jesus name